For reasons unbeknownst to me, I have a reputation of going long on Sunday mornings. And for that reason, I've had three elders remind me that today is Communion Sunday. And I should remember there needs to be time for that to happen at the end. So I will do my best for Andy's sake to make sure that happens. Uh, If you would open your Bibles with me to Psalm 46. We're just going to be looking at a few of the verses from Psalm 46 this morning. I'm going to read them to you now. Psalm 46, verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried away into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. And you drop down to verse 10 where God reminds us to be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. Let's pray. Father, you have promised us through your prophet Isaiah that when your word goes forth, it does not return void. It accomplishes all that you desire. So this morning we come before you and we ask, Lord, would you, through your word, accomplish all that you desire in our hearts? Would you allow the truth of your gospel, the truth of your love and grace to settle upon us? Would you drench our hearts in your love to the point that it would impact us and and change the way we see, change the way we feel even this morning as we've entered into this room with distractions and pains and fears and confusion May your word bring us to a place of hoping in you and in you alone for your glory in our lives. May you allow it to be so. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever thought about how the book of Acts ends? I was thinking about this this morning, and, and I went and I read uh, chapter 28 of Acts, and, and I was reminded again of, of the reality of the picture that's going on for, for Paul and Luke, who's doing the writing. And, and I was reminded again of how Paul, as, as the book comes to a close, is sitting in prison. That's, that's where it ends. He's, he's just sitting there and, and he's, he's in this house and, and he's preaching the Gospels to Jews and he's, pre- and he's explaining how the Gospel is going to continue to go forth to Gentiles. And, and I'm reminded as, he's, as, as this comes to a close, he's just, he's just sitting there chained to a, to a guard. Can't leave, can't go anywhere can't do anything without permission. And, and here this great 
evangelist who has been commissioned by Jesus Christ himself to share the gospel with the world is sitting in chains. And it's silly to think that, that this mortal man who struggles like we do wouldn't have had times of discouragement. I think we know this to be true as you look at his letter to the church at Philippi and, and, and he's trying to encourage them, to remind them in, in his estate that, yeah, I, I may be chained here, but the gospel is still going forth. To his letters to the church at Ephesus, pray that I would remain bold moving forward and proclaiming to the gospel, the gospel to those around me. He would have asked for prayer. Why? Because he would have struggled with, I'm here and, and, and there's times where I feel limited and Jesus, you've called me to do this ministry and yeah, many things have happened, but I still have desire for many things to happen and I'm just sitting here, locked up, unable to move unable to maybe do what you have called me to do in the way that I think it should be done. And here's the thing with all of that. Just think if you were transported back in time right now and you you ran into Paul in that moment of discouragement in his heart, how would you talk to him? If you were allowed to tell him you were from 2018, how would you talk to him in that moment? You'd probably... Say, Paul, this isn't the end of your story. When when you go out and they lead you in chains through the streets of Rome, you need to know what this is going to look like in just a few hundred years. This city that, that is entrenched with rebellion to God, that persecutes Christians, that is going to put them to death in the future. This city someday is going to be marked by crosses all over the place. This at some point is going to be the hub of Christian culture in the future. Because where you're at is not the end of your story. God is going to do so much more in the face of all of this idolatry and hatred that you're surrounded by. God is going to do so much more. Through you, through just some letters that you're going to write. 2,000 years later, we're going to sit in churches and we're going to to read your words and be blessed by them. And Christ's name is going to go forth and he is going to be exalted and lives are going to change. This is not the end of your story. Take courage, take heart. Christ is at work. And these things ruin true for us in our hearts this morning now. Why? Because of who Jesus is and what he has promised. He's promised us that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Why? Because he is at work in us. And it is critical for us to be reminded of this over and over and over again. I know in my own family, you know, we'll have hard days. You know, we're we're not perfect. We struggle with sin just like everybody else. And, and, and we'll have arguments and we'll have fights and we'll say mean things. And, and, and I'll try to remind my kids on a regular basis, no matter what time of day it is. If it's 1030 at night, I'll remind them, is this day over with yet? No, 
There's still time left in this day. And is Christ able to redeem the last hour and a half of this day to bring glory to his name for his gospel to reign in our hearts and in our family? Yes, he can, because that's what he does. That's how he works. And we rejoice in that. When we are facing difficulties as a church, and we are facing difficulties as a church, when we are facing difficulties and trials in our lives, and there's no doubt, every person in this room is struggling with something, whether it seems small or whether it seems like a tsunami, we are struggling with something. It's good to remember when it comes to this church and when it comes to the trials that we face, it's good for us to take a step back and remember that this is not the end of our story. Sin does not win. Death does not reign. Christ wins. He reigns. He's the one at work. He is the one who is writing our story. And when our world feels rocked and unsettled, it is good for us to draw our eyes back to Christ. Right now in your life, things may feel out of control control, and confusion may seem to be reigning in your life. You may be paralyzed by fear over what things look like and not knowing how are things going to move forward and how is, how is all of this going to work together? I just I don't know what to do anymore. And to that, we come to Psalm 46 and we read these words, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, the psalmist says, we will not fear. We will not fear. This is a bold statement. Why? Because he goes on and he talks about the most secure things around him. The very mountains themselves are just crumbling around him. And in in the face of all of that destruction, he says, God is our refuge. God is my strength. He is my very present help in trouble. And therefore, I will not fear. Because he is in my line of sight. David, who who possibly had a hand in writing this psalm for the sons of Korah, he obviously knew quite a bit about facing fears with boldness. We know the story of of David and Goliath. And, and here David is walking out onto the battlefield before this, this unbeatable foe. But where does his heart land? He says to Goliath, You come to me with a sword and a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And that is bold. But David's boldness wasn't the result of prideful arrogance in his own strength. He had done some stuff at that point in his life. Yet he didn't, he didn't look to himself to find strength. He looked to God. God's view of, uh, David's view of God was fueled by his knowledge of him and what he was accomplishing in his life. His boldness was fueled 
by his knowledge of a great and sovereign and faithful God. So David, when faced with the uncertainties of life's trials, when his world fell out of control and unsettled and there was upheaval all around him, he didn't first look at the problem itself, which is what we have a tendency to do. When things feel uncertain, where do we go? We start analyzing, what's the situation look like? You know, how has is, how is everything come to the place where it's at? And, and here's this problem that's in front of me. And if I look at it from all the different angles, maybe I can find a solution for what's ailing me. We look for boldness in that, in our planning. Or maybe we go to ourselves, and, and, and this is not what David did, but he didn't focus on, on his own strengths, as I just said. And maybe we do that. Maybe we try to build ourselves up. Okay, you know, Derek, you can do this. You've been here before, and you've been through struggles before, and you're, you're a smart guy. You can figure it out. And we try to build ourselves up and find strength in ourselves. David did neither one of those things. He didn't focus on the problem. He didn't focus on himself. No, he overcame fears by focusing on God. Every, uh, he knew that God was worth every bit of his trust. So he kept his eyes focused on him in the midst of the greatest difficulties, in the midst of the greatest enemies he would face. We see this all throughout the psalm. Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you, God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my, the strength of my life. In God I, will, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. His vision goes in one direction to God. In the midst of uncertainty, when the questions arise, what do I do now? We need to follow the model of David and look to God. What we can clearly see is that the children of God should have an attitude of fearlessness in the face of an uncontrollable and uncertain future. This is what God wants us to hear this morning. He wants us to embrace that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And therefore, we do not have to fear. You see these words from the psalmist. It's emphasizing that God is His strength. The one that He finds overwhelming power in is not in Himself, it's in God. God is His refuge. He will not look for security in any other place but God alone. God is His help and His reason why He will not fear. But even as I say that, because we have a tendency to... to Look at this text and like I just read it and think of and along the lines of God and me, God and me, but that's not how the psalmist is writing. He says, he says, makes the point of this is for us all. If you see it in his words, he says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. God alone is ours together collectively, our strength, our security. 
God alone is the one who can deliver us from shrinking back in fear when it comes to the unforeseen things in our lives. And this is critical for us as believers to embrace that and remember, I am not to walk into the the painful situations in my life alone, unhooked from brothers who are next to me and sisters who are next to me that God has called me to walk through this life with. We are not to move that way. We are to walk arm in arm with our brothers and sisters in Christ, encouraging one another, reminding others each of us, hey, he's our strength. He's our refuge. Let's move together. Let's encourage one another. Let's find strength in him as we move towards him, singing his praises with one voice. Oh, that we as believers would heed the voice of God in his word and realize that nothing in this world, can be compared to the security that God offers us on a moment-by-moment basis. There is no security that can be compared to His words of, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. I'm always on your side. I've proven it. I've given you my own son. Am I going to withhold any good thing from you at all? No, I'm working all things together for your good. Every cruddy aspect of your life, I am working it together for your good so that you would be conformed into the image of my son. Every good thing that's happening in your life, I'm, I'm, I'm molding that and I'm causing those things to happen in your life so that you would be conformed into the image of my son. We find security in that in such a way that nothing else can be offered to us. And that is hard for us to hold on to because we seek security in so many other places. We seek it in the things we can see and feel, the things that get us through the next 10 minutes of our lives. That's where we want to be drawn to to find security in. So many people, Christians and non-Christians alike, think they can be shielded from life's struggles if they could just get enough money. If we could just get to the, the right number, like in that commercial, that right number in retirement, then I'll feel safe. Then I'll feel secure. If I just get the right IRA and I get the right shelters around me and I get the right type of insurance, then I'll be okay then I can feel like I can walk around with something solid underneath me. But I want to tell you what we all know intuitively, that no amount of money can shield a person from heartbreak. No amount of money can shield a person from disease or death. No amount of money can dry the tears in your eyes. When pain camps at your door and every time you open it, it's just sitting there. Money can't do that. It can't protect us. Money certainly cannot shield anyone from God's judgment. As God's words tells us that what is it a profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? 
that truth just weighs upon us and we need to be reminded of it daily. Others seek security in this world by, by numbing themselves from the world itself. If, when life gets too hard, we can, we can run to things like obvious things like alcohol or drugs just to, just to make us feel away from the world. Just for a moment, just let me not feel these things that make me feel out of control. But it's not just drugs and alcohol. It can be other things as well. We can run to the internet. We can run to TV. We can run to movies. You could be like me even. And we can run to things that look really good and and break out your deep theological books on your shelves and just read and read and pour over and then, uh, oh, now I feel better about myself. Now I feel safe from the world around me if I would just... You know, take some time to close my eyes from the reality that just keeps creeping in on me. God says, you're not going to find security in those things. That may make you feel better for a second, but you know once you put down the book or you put down the drink or you turn off the TV or you stop playing the video game, the reality of life seems even bigger and more imposing. We must find security in Him and in Him alone. Others seek security on a more personal level. And I think for many of this, this hits even more closely to home. We feel secure as long as we are surrounded by family. As long as there's somebody there to love me, then I feel safe. That's when when my heart is filled up by a spouse or by a friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or or just somebody who's who's just loving me and loving me and loving me. Now I I can feel good. I can feel hope. I can feel strength. As long as that person never lets me down. If I could just have a trusted person in my life, a teacher, a pastor who walks alongside of me and never lets me down, then I will feel safe. And sadly, we all know, again, it doesn't work that way. People let you down. People die. People are here one moment and they are gone the next And people are a gift from God. As I said earlier, the text makes it clear we are to walk closely with others and we're not to shy away from them just because they may let us down. But if we are searching for security in creation rather than the creator, we will be hurt. And God says, don't do that. These are only human supports that I put in place to remind you of the greatest support that can be offered. And that's me. Don't let your world be rocked by those who will fall short of my glory. In fact, those shortcomings are there to remind you the security that you want can only come in me. So look to me, for I am your refuge, I am your strength, I am the one who is your help in trouble. 
I am the reason you do not have to fear. This is where David finds his help and security, not in loved ones. His strength is not found in financial security. And David was far more wealthier than any person in this room could ever imagine. That is not where he found his security. He knew better than that. He finds his security in God alone. David says in verse 1 that he looks to God to be his refuge, to whom he can flee in times of struggle. He says that God alone is his source of inner strength when conflict comes. And I love that picture of inner strength because we're sitting in a building right now that, that has either wood or metal studs that are holding it up. And they're built in a very specific way so that, you know, we live in the land of earthquakes. And if it comes, hopefully the building just kind of rocks a little bit, but it doesn't crumble. Why? Because it has an integrity to it that can't be seen with our eyes. And David says, I have an integrity to me, and that is God. He is the one who holds me up. He is the one who secures me when the worst disasters imaginable come my way. And that's where he goes in verse 2. He says, Therefore we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Uh, David is painting this, this amazing picture of the most secure things that he can see with his eyes just being destroyed in a moment. We live in the shadow of Saddleback Mountain, and what he's saying is, even if, even if, those, even if the mountains itself just fell apart and were tossed out into the ocean, I will not fear. Because those things don't easily happen. Those things are secure. Those things can't be moved. You can't take a jackhammer to Saddleback and just topple it over. But even if the securest things in your life fall to pieces, you don't have to fear. If God is your refuge and your strength. And this is what life is like sometimes. Sometimes the foundation of our lives, the things that we trust most in life, are shaken and they're shattered. And sometimes chaos seems to reign. And to that, we are to focus our eyes on the one who cannot be shaken. Elizabeth Elliot referred to this Psalm 46 in her book, Beyond the Gates of Splendor. I'm sure most of you know who Elizabeth Elliot is. Her husband Jim and her went down to Ecuador in the 50s, and they searched to reach out to the Aka Indians, and, and nobody had made contact with them before, and nobody really wanted to make contact with them. Why? Because they were cannibals. <laughs> you know, why, why do you want to reach out to people who eat people? That's uncomfortable. And, and so here, Jim and, and a handful of other believers, they went there and they, and they reached out to them in very unique ways. And, and you could see it in, in the movie, Beyond the Gates of Splendor, how they did that. And they flew the plane around and they dropped goods and they landed and they set up camp and, and they made some connection and they were starting to establish a relationship and they thought things were going well right up until the Indians came out of the forest and killed them all. And in that moment, Elizabeth's life would feel like everything had come to an end. This is where the story ends for her with a dead husband laying in a river. 
And in that moment, she read Psalm 46. And she wrote a book, and referring to the shock of the loss of her husband, she described what she felt in this way. She said, everything that has seemed most dependable has given way. Mountains are falling. The earth is reeling. In such a time, it is a profound comfort to know that although all things seem to be shaken, one thing is not. God is not shaken. And she turned her eyes to him. She went on to add the most important thing to do when life seems to be crumbling around you is to respond in the way the psalmist does in verse 10, to be still and to know that I am God. To be still and know that God is God. And and, and I even love how the psalmist writes that. Here we translate it as be still, but but there's an aspect to this translation that, that says, shut up. Shut up and remember that I am God. And, and I like that because when we struggle, when the mountains are reeling and the earth is crumbling, what does that feel like? We can sit in a room that is dead silent and the noise is just raging in our heads, isn't it? It's like everything around us is shaking and out of control and the voices are screaming and and I don't know what to do, and I don't know where to go, and we're screaming out, and to that God says, be still. Be quiet. We struggle with that. We love to sit in the car and turn the sound up loud, turn the radio up, turn the TV on, drown out the noise, and God says, stop. Be still. I'm here. Know who I am. Remember what I have done. Remember what I am doing. Know that I am God. And I know this is awful and it's hard to hear, but sometimes the best way for us to have a clear vision of who God is and what He is doing is to have all the distractions in our lives be stripped away. It stinks to have that be a reality, but it is the reality. Sometimes the only way we can truly see God is when all of the other securities and strengths that we've been putting our hope in are just gone. You think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're sitting in the fire, and Christ is there with them. It's in the midst of the fire when his closestness is most penetrating. You think of Stephen in Acts and and the stones are just crashing against his body and, and death is right in front of him. And at that weakest moment, he opens his eyes and who does he see? It's Christ. That's where he feels and, and knows experientially the reality of God walking close to him. And for us, that's true. If we would just be still and know that He is our God, He is not shaken. His life is still, His hands are still upon our life. And this morning, may we together, together, shoulder to shoulder, I mean, remember that God is still God. He is still sovereign. And more than that, He is still good. And that He cannot be shaken. 
Charles Spurgeon once requested of his fellow believers to fear God and fear nothing else. Fear God and fear nothing else that this life would throw at you. My question this morning is, how are we to do this? How are we to live lives free of fear in the face of uncontrollable circumstances and an uncertain future? I believe the answer is found in us knowing God. Knowing that He will continue to be faithful even in the times when we are struggling to place our faith in Him. To repeat the words of the man standing in front of his Savior, Jesus Christ, I believe, help my unbelief. To remember Paul's words to Timothy when he said, even when you are faithless, he will remain faithful. To remember the extent that he has gone to prove that to us. He came down and he walked on this earth for 33 years and he laid down his life and he took your death and sin upon himself. And he absorbed the wrath of God just to remind you of who he is for you. And the extent that he is willing to show you his love. The knowledge of Christ in his gospel should bring us comfort. It should free us from the fear of the unknowns of life that awaits us when we walk out these doors and, cause, and should cause us to embrace the difficulties that we are facing with God on our side. And I mean that. To embrace the difficulties. Because God has a plan in the pain that you are enduring right now. He has a plan for it. Stop running from it. Stop telling yourself, if I could just get to here, then everything will be okay. If you just take the pain away and just lighten the load, then everything will be okay. Just get me past the next week so I don't have to feel this anymore. And God says, I don't want to do that. I want you to embrace the difficulty and find me in it. Because I'm going to give you a hope that stretches beyond your imagination when you do it. Because I'm going to walk closely with you. I'm going to allow you to experience my presence in ways that you would have never experienced in it if you would just embrace the difficulty rather than running from it. If it is your desire to live a life empowered by God, secure in His presence, free from paralyzing fear, then I have no better advice for you this morning than to know your God. Look to Him. Find Him as your strength, as your refuge, as your help. Remind yourself in the midst of your world that is shaking that this is not the end of your story. This is not the end of your story. And I know I sound excited, but if I had time to unpack the rest of Psalm 46, and if you're looking at it, write Revelation 22 in between verses 4 and verses 9, and look at that and compare it to the text here, and be reminded, this is not the end of your story. God has a plan, 
and he's going to take away all pain and fear, and he's going to crush all rebellion and all the war of sin and death, and he's going to bring it to an end to where we get to stand before him as a church and sing his praises forevermore. Because this is not the end of your story. Let's place our trust in him. Let's remind each other that God is our God, that he is our strength and our refuge. Let's remind each other that as the trial rages around us, that our Lord will be our very present help in times of trouble. And may we rest in him. Let's do that together. Would you pray with me now? Lord, how we need your truth. How every hour we need the security that only you can provide. I know how we thank you that you have sent your son to make that truth a reality for us moment by moment, day by day. It is your grace that allows us to be faithful for the next five minutes when the trials of our lives creep back into our minds and seek to distract us from you. May that not be so. As we take communion together, may we with one voice cry out that you alone are the one that we will find refuge in. You alone are the one who, are, who is our help in our time of trouble. And therefore, we will not fear. We thank you for that grace. We thank you for the security of the cross. And we ask, would you, by the power of your spirit, remind us that our story never ends as long as our story is connected to you. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in your holy name. Amen.